Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Welcome to Speed City with John Massengill, Les Kaiser, and Jonathan Green. It's the fastest hour on the radio, Speed City. Welcome to the show, Gearheads. This is John Massingale, and I am in my home studio. And we got Jonathan Green in his home studio and Mr. Dave O'Neill. And we're very excited to be with you for this second round of our Formula One preseason show. We got four of these, and this is the second one. And we're very excited because we have a fantastic guest today. We have Mark Gallagher, who's a Formula One veteran and just an amazing resource in Formula One. And we are really excited to have him on. He's going to be our guest today. But I want to start because Dave O'Neill was with us for a couple of shows last season during the races. But I want to start, Dave, I want you to give your background because you have an incredible background and you're going to be with us quite a bit this season. So let everybody know what's your, your Formula One career and your racing career. Yeah. Hi, everyone. Um, so I, I started off when I was um, 15, 16, um, being a gopher. Um, polishing Formula Fords at Brands Hatch in the Formula Ford Festival, where, where unfortunately um, those sort of apprenticeships don't take place anymore, um, just for the way racing has has developed over the years. Anyway, sort of fast forward, um, I don't know, from '85 to '96, um, did quite a few sports car um, roles um, here in the states with Celine. Um, also worked on the Lister V12, which came out here and did um, Daytona and also um, Sebring um, and Le Mans. Um, and then from that, I um, I got a, a break in, in my career, um, which I started off at Jordan as an engine kitter. So I was chief mechanic at Lister. Um, we didn't have any mobile phones in those days. So if you anyone that's been to Silverstone just outside the, the Jordan factory, there was a, a red telephone box. And um, I got the job, got offered it to me by uh, Jim Vale, uh, who was a team manager then at the time. Um, and I had 50p left in my ashtray, I think. Um, so I drove out and put the 50p in the in the phone box and rang my mum and told her I was in Formula One. So it was a really happy day for me. Um, and then kind of um, Jordan, you know, that was that was nine to end of 97. Um, so I did testing there for you know, a couple of years. That was the, the big money days with the cigarette money. So there was big testing, uh, two-car test teams um, there. Um, and then you, you obviously progressed there f- um, to the race team. Um, so raced for a couple of years. Um, and then um, it went through a couple of ownership changes from um, – 
from Midland and it, you know things changed didn't quite you know wasn't quite uh quite how we wanted it or what we're used to I guess we don't like change so um there was a new series that started up called A1 um and uh, it was kind of nation versus nation went around the world um in the winter time um to a lot of the countries that F1 didn't visit um and some that they did um and we did that for five years I ran um I was a team manager um, for A1 Team Ireland, and my boss was um, Mark Gallagher. Um, so we did that until um, that run out of gold. Um, and then we moved on to Virgin um, F1. So set the Virgin F1 team up for um, Sir Richard Branson um, and John Booth and Graham Loudon. Um, and again, you know, had a reasonably successful time with that. Um, it was when the, the budget cap came in that you know all these new teams could come in um four of them in fact and only three got to the grid but there was um, a budget cap of 40 million um and i don't think anyone really worked out that you couldn't run a formula one team on 40 million so um all bets were off and um caterham decided to get Renault engines and um the spending started um and then that kind of collapsed um 2014 for me um and then um, good news came along. Um, the you know within a couple of uh, couple of weeks, I got a, call, a phone call from Gunter telling me that he was setting up his house Formula One team with Gene, um, and we set about doing that in 2015. Um, and that led me all the way up to the end of 2017. So that was kind of my my career with lots more in between. <laughs> <laughs> that's fascinating. Yeah, that's incredible. Who, who was your Irish driver in, or drivers in A1? We had Ralph Furman, we had Richard yeah. Lyons, we had uh, Devani, uh, Michael Devani, and we also, in the final year, we had Adam Carroll, um, which we won the championship, won the world championship, in fact, with um, with Adam Carroll in the Ferrari-powered um, A1 car, which is pretty cool. Yeah. yeah cool. Well, Dave, we're really excited to have you with the show this year and uh, going to look forward to to pick in your brain and, uh, and, and throughout all the way through the season, including the pre and post race shows that we're going to do. But I am very excited because we're going to bring on our next guest, Mark Gallagher. He has had an incredible management career in formula one, including more than a decade on the management board of the highly successful race winning Jordan Grand Prix team running the world famous Cosworth engine business and establishing the commercial arm of the Red Bull racing, which went, went on a course to win four world championships. And he's worked with drivers, including there's some names you might have heard, Ayrton Senna, Michael Schumacher, and Jensen Button. So, ah, yeah. yeah, a few names you might recognize. So we want to welcome to the show, Mark Gallagher. Hi, guys. How are you all? Good, good, good. Welcome good, Mark. To yourself? Yeah, really good. Nice to talk to you, Dave. Nice to see you as well. Yeah. We're looking after him in Texas. Don't worry. That's good. I'm pleased to hear it. We want to jump right in and talk about what's going on in Formula One, really what's going on in the world, because... As we all know, Formula One has survived, even thrived through some difficult times. Everything from when the tobacco money left the sport, the tech crash pulled out all the tech sponsors, and of course the Great Recession of 2008. But this pandemic is beyond all of that, and with the speed and and velocity that it impacted the sport, the economy, and the the depth and breadth across the globe. So we want to start with really what you think the the impact this is going to be about on the teams and the circuits and even the sport itself yeah really good question john i mean the reality is that over here in europe um 
I'll just give you one headline from today's newspapers in the United Kingdom, uh, and that is that the recession, the economic recession that's going to hit the UK as a result of the coronavirus is the worst economic downturn in 300 years. Now, I don't know what happened 300 years ago, but whatever it was, apparently this is now as bad as as it was back in... uh, I don't know, 1720, whatever happened in 1720. Hopefully some historians can tell us what exactly happened then. But um, so things are bad. I mean, the UK economy is is set to shrink by about 20%. And if listeners are wondering why the UK economy is relevant in any way to Formula One, um, as as Dave and I uh, know only too well, having worked in the industry here, you effectively have seven Formula One teams either based here in the United Kingdom, seven of the 10 teams either based in the United Kingdom or with major research and development uh, or operational facilities here in the UK. And actually, you could really argue that Toro Rosso, the an eighth team, also has a major research and development facility here, not far from where I live, uh, just north of Oxford. So actually, 80% of Formula One is kind of located in the UK, and the UK is going to have a tough time as a result of this, and that has, you know, potentially huge impact for Formula One. And then, of course, as we are about to talk about during the show, um, we are seeing a profound effect on Formula One. And my, you know, if I was going to summarize my take on it, it's going to be the most significant change to Formula One probably ever in terms of the the reset that is going to take place. Um, however, I don't think it's all going to be bad news because I think, weirdly, it may result in Formula One having a more balanced approach to making sure all of the teams survive and actually that all of the teams will be more competitive. Things will tighten up in terms of of the grid, hopefully, uh, when we come out the far side of this. So I have a feeling that this COVID-19 crisis, the pandemic, might have a silver lining for Formula One. And that, that's me with my optimist's hat on, really. Yeah, Mark, wouldn't that be amazing? Yeah. Mark, i got a question that is pertaining to that in many ways. What I don't understand, and maybe being a business insider, you can help. Um, we got to Australia. All 10 teams are ready, ready to go. The budget must have been sort of written off for 2020. <laughs> So where, yeah. I, you know, in other words, you, 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 you're ready to go racing and it's 21 races and they're fast and furious. You can't say, oh, we'll try and get some more money towards September with Monza. So what has happened to that money that they had ready to go racing? Or am I being naive and that actually you don't have all the money when you get to Australia? It does come in increments. So, well, the first thing to say is, I mean, it does come in increments. There's no, no doubt about that. And, of course, many of the teams will have had both money from formula one money from liberty media in in the form of prize money from which is generated in 2019 so the 2020 payments will have started already before australia and then of course also teams will have received funding from uh, the sponsors that they have and any drivers who are bringing funding will have made their down payment. So already there was money in the system before everyone turned up in uh, in Melbourne. And then the other thing, of course, and, and again, you know, Dave can tell you um, chapter and verse on this. The reality is that most of the cost of preparing for any season is 
absorbed during the winter time, the Northern Hemisphere uh, winter, you know, November, December, January, February, the cars are being designed, developed, uh, manufactured. Of course, the manufacturing is uh, is extremely expensive. And I mean, it's you could depending depending on who you talk to, people will tell you that they will have spent 30 percent of their budget before the season starts. Some will tell you it's more. It's like 40, 45% of the budget will have gone before the Formula One season has even begun. So, you, you know, your question is, you know, it's very appropriate. When the cancellation happened in Melbourne, a lot of money had been paid, a lot of money had been spent. And I think that's one of the reasons why everyone was fighting on the Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday in Melbourne to try and have the Australian Grand Prix go ahead because the potential implications of cancellation were so profound. And of course, that's what it's turned out to be. Mark, I, I've got a, um, a kind of question. I don't know whether I'm barking up the wrong tree or not, but the one of the um, the subjects I think is really interesting currently is the Racing Point and um, the Aston Martin um, business. Yeah. Um, and I'm kind of wondering, you know, it, I guess, you know, you can build a, a team as big as you want for your son, but eventually <laughs> at some point, you you know, you I guess you'd be thinking, okay, well, you know, this, this is actually a business. I need to make some money out of this. My yeah. feeling uh, is that, it is a business, um, and I think they've got something really, really good going on there. The other sort of leg to it, um, before you give us an answer, is: is there any sort of is there any mixture with with Toto getting involved in in Williams um, taking <laughs> I don't know if he has, but taking some form of share um, yeah. within Aston, and then and then having his Mercedes thirty percent in um, AMG Mercedes. I wonder if there's you know some some good mixture going on there and something a bit more stable for F1 to have those guys sensible heads behind the whole thing. Um. Well, how long's the show? We've got a lot to talk about. There, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the, the great thing with the, the so the, for, the first thing to say is that thank goodness for people like Lawrence Stroll who turn up at the right time, just when formula one needs billionaires on the horizon to help save the day. And so like, uh, like the Seventh Cavalry, you know, Lawrence is coming riding over the horizon. He's saving Aston Martin. He's saving, uh, you know, he's effectively saved Racing Point after the VJ Malia, uh, you know, catastrophe, frankly, that was Force India. So it's great that he's turned up. He's got his son with him, and quite rightly, you know, he's allowed to spend his money how he wants, and he's funding uh, his son's career, and it's, you know, it's he's entitled to do so. I, I personally think that Lawrence Stroll has a much, much bigger picture than just uh, his son, Lance. And that's very clear. He's he's effectively saved Aston Martin. Um, it's a very brave decision. Aston Martin's share price has collapsed steadily since the company floated at the uh, end of 2018. And it's been, it's been catastrophic. It was a catastrophic decision. And that's the difficulty with going to the markets and floating a company. The markets very quickly make their mind up as to whether you're a worthwhile bet, and the the answer has been that Aston Martin is not, and there's lots of reasons for that which we could, which we could discuss. And the interesting thing is that when Lawrence Stroll negotiated a deal to to effectively take over uh, Aston Martin, he was able to go back just a few weeks later and renegotiate the deal on even better terms because the share price continued 
to collapse. So he's he's gotten a bargain. Now it may be a bargain that uh, you know bites him. He may actually lose his shirt on on this deal. Aston Martin may go completely if they don't uh, recover. But um, you know he's he's definitely bought at the bottom of the market. So that's kind of good news for Aston. And then he's produced this amazing deal where in buying Aston Martin, he's then withdrawing the deal that they have with Red Bull Racing and he's moving that across and rebranding Racing Point. And let's be completely clear, what Lawrence Stroll is doing here is he is creating uh, the United Kingdom's answer to Ferrari. He's taking Aston Martin and he's saying, right, we're going to build a globally recognized car brand, rebuild a globally recognized uh, sports car brand. And we're going to use Formula One as the showcase to do that. So, of course, McLaren have copied that kind of Ferrari model before. And Lawrence now plans to do that with Aston Martin. So it's an enormous um, sort of opportunity uh, there for him. And then with regards to you know, Racing Point and the Aston Martin thing, I mean, Dave and I have both been very fortunate in our careers to work for that team when it was called Jordan. Um uh, Dave, you, you won't remember this, but um, many, 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 many years ago uh, at Jordan, we had an open day uh, for the fans, for the fan club. And one of the fans who turned up was my young son. He was about, I think he was about six or seven years old at the time. And we actually have a photograph in the family album of you, Dave, showing Frank how to do a pit stop. He, you're actually showing him how to put a wheel on a Formula <laughs> One car. Uh, and, and, if, and if you want to know where that seven-year-old is today, that seven-year-old is now a project engineer for the Australian Space Agency. <laughs> so it's uh, oh, uh, Dave. Yeah. Good job, Dave. Yeah, yeah. So Dave, Fantastic. Dave, yeah. Seriously, Dave, you, you inspired a, uh, you know, you helped to inspire uh, uh, an engineer who's now in his mid-20s. But the, the reason for mentioning Jordan is that, I mean, I read somewhere recently that people were talking about, you know, you remember when Jordan collapsed? Jordan never collapsed. The Jordan Formula One team, as Dave said, became Midland. Uh, became Spiker, uh, then became Force India, and now has become Racing Point, and next year will be Aston Martin. And there are a remarkable number of people in that team, including the technical director, Andy Green, and including the uh, operations director, uh, Andy Stevenson. And they've, they've been there since day one. I mean, literally since Jordan Grand Prix began back in 1990 uh, with our first season in 91. So this is a team that has retained something of a family uh, atmosphere in, and... Uh, I think that as long as Lawrence Stroll and the management don't lose lose uh, their kind of focus that that team potentially has within it, I think that that team is in many respects ideally placed to take advantage of the topic we're, we're going to talk about, the budget cap, because it's a team that has always run a, to a tight budget. It's a team that's always run with a much smaller operation than the big teams. And I think this is why the it may well be the moment for the medium-sized teams to to actually be able to uh, perform uh, better, certainly in terms of uh, you know the, the kind of the, the the relative the relative performance. So their relative performance will be so good, and I think the big teams are going to have to you know frankly find a way to reduce their headcount and and tighten their belts in ways that they've never had to before. So I think it's kind of good news, the whole thing for Racing Point and therefore Aston Martin and Lawrence Stroll. Well, that is, well, that's good news for all of us if that truly tightens up the field. But, well, guys, we need to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to have more with Mark Gallagher. You're listening to Speed City. We'll be back after these messages. 
As a rider, you know what you like. The power, the feel, the ride. When it comes to gear, you know what keeps you safe. Ducati Austin provides riders with the finest in day and easy leathers. The best the market offers. Visit Ducati Austin on Breaker Lane just east of I-35 and throw your leg over the most iconic sports bike ever built. Ducati. Even take it for a test ride or see what's been described as art on wheels from MV Augusta. You know what you like. See it at Ducati Austin. Online at DucatiAustin.com. At Circle Brewing, the belief is less is more when it comes to brewing a better beer. You won't find any chemicals or additives, only water, malt, hops, and yeast, and absolutely nothing else. Just simple ingredients and outstanding taste. It's German purity with Texas ingenuity. Find the brews on tap all over town, in your favorite store, or drop by the tap room at 2340 West Breaker Lane. Open Thursday and Friday nights and weekends. Log on to circlebrewing.com. Circle Brewing Company. Born, bred, and brewed in Texas. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress-them-on-the-third-date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink... What you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Talk 1370, the right choice. Hello, I'm Felipe Massa, and this is Speed City. Welcome back to the fastest hour in radio, Speed City. All right, welcome back to the show. We are still with our guest, Mark Gallagher, and very excited to have him with all his knowledge. And Dave O'Neill, you had a question for Mr. Gallagher. Yeah, I was just trying to finish up on the um, my, um, my idea about uh, Toto and what he's up to, um, whether it's just a... Just something that's he's he's a clever guy and he's putting his chips in the right place um, was yeah. was the part of my question. Yeah, I mean it's 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 interesting what Toto Wolf is doing. I mean, first of all, as you said, Dave, he he owns thirty percent of the Mercedes Benz Formula One team. Um, his contract as team principal is up for renewal, so he's in the process of negotiating that. And there's been a lot of speculation as to whether he will stay or whether he will leave. I think I think he will stay. Um, but what's very interesting is some of his side bets. So he bought, Toto went and bought 5% of Aston Martin at the time when Lawrence Stroll was uh, was taking it over. Now that 5% literally turned into 1% overnight and he knew about that. So there was, there was a, a rights issue. So that meant the shares were going to be diluted. So he actually only has 1%, about 1% of of Aston Martin, but that that generated a lot of speculation. You know, is Total Wolf going to go into into business with uh, Lawrence Stroll? Actually, I think what you're seeing there is Total Wolf playing a very clever game by 
buying shares in a company which now owns a Formula One team, which is a Mercedes-Benz customer. So he's effectively putting his foot firmly in that camp of Aston Martin. And that, that's quite a neat thing to do. It gives him, uh, you know, it gives him some interest there. And then in the last uh, 10 days, we've heard that he's also acquired a small percentage of the Williams Formula One team, which is uh, currently uh, up for sale. Either as a minority, uh, someone, come in, someone can come in and buy a minority stake in Williams, or indeed, potentially the team is fully for sale. But again, Toto has gone in and bought 5% of that. And what that says to me is, again, he's making sure he's in on the action of another customer of Mercedes-Benz. So this is a very clever guy we're talking about, someone who made his money on the markets. You know, he's a he's a financier, he's a, an entrepreneur, and then racing is his passion, and he's eventually joined those two passions together. So here's a guy who understands how to leverage things financially and then is very, very passionate about the racing. So I think what we now have is someone with, um, you know, he's got an investment in three of the 10 teams in Formula One and he control, you know, effectively controls Mercedes-Benz, if not from a shareholding perspective, he con controls it in terms of day-to-day -day management. So, uh, you know, Toto's positioned himself as an incredibly strong uh, player in this industry. And you would have to say that he has swung the pendulum of power away from Ferrari at a pretty interesting time. Mercedes-Benz as a company and Total Wolf as an individual now have a very strong hold over the the direction of Formula One because of the influence that they have. Well, so Mark, let's talk about the the budget cap as a whole, you know, and they, you know, they've obviously they've agreed upon it. And let's talk about how it's going to affect all the teams and kind of the ripple effect all the way down. Yeah, it's you know it's a really great thing. The budget cap is such a great headline, isn't it? You know, Formula One's operating to a budget cap. So let me just read a few of the things which are not included in the budget cap. So the budget cap is one hundred and forty-five million dollars. That sounds great, and every all the newspapers and websites have been trumpeting the fact that uh, Formula One's got this one hundred and forty-five million dollar budget cap. So it doesn't involve engine development and production. It doesn't involve the salaries or the travel or accommodation of the Formula One drivers. It doesn't include the salaries, travel or accommodation of the highest paid employees. And if you bear in mind that I know of one technical director of a Formula One team who's earning $12 million a year, we are not talking about normal salaries here. So the, these are substantial amounts of money which are outside of the $145 million uh, budget cap. Marketing is not included. Uh, flight and hotel costs for comp for for testing, uh, entry fees, all, all kinds of all kinds of things. Heritage activities. You know, whenever you see those uh, historic Formula One cars being run by Mercedes Benz or run by Ferrari, and of course that's a big part of marketing. None of that is uh, is involved. So there's a whole bunch of things which are not included in that 145 million dollar budget cap. So it becomes very easy to sit down with a piece of paper and work out that. If you are so minded, you can still spend $250, $300 million on Formula One. And, uh, and so I think it's it's a nice figure. Uh, I'm not sure it's going to have quite the impact that uh, a lot of people think it will have. Uh, some of the smaller teams have never had $145 million to spend, so they will never reach the budget cap, never mind worry about downsizing to it. And uh, I think the... But but I do think that when we speak to individuals 
in the teams. And last last week, I had a conversation with a senior engineer in in one of the organisations, and he he said to me, "Look, it is going to have some impact. There is going to be uh, an inability for us to spend money on testing and development in quite the way that we did before. Uh, there's also this." Um, process by which teams that are very competitive will not be permitted in future seasons to do the same amount of aerodynamic testing as the smaller teams who maybe haven't done so well. So actually there will be a rebalancing. So the view is that it may tighten the field somewhat, but that it's quite unlikely to turn everything upside down. So it's it seems unlikely that because of the budget cap, you know, the Haas team are going to start winning Formula One races. But what is likely to happen is that those perhaps two to three second gaps that existed between the haves and the have-nots in terms of lap time, those, those might begin to close down. And that, that will be, be a good thing. Hmm. Well, it sounds like a lot of the money that, you know, you talk about the money spent on historics and all those things. I, I mean, how much of that money that actually makes cars fast I mean, it sounds like the budget cap is is targeting a lot of that same money, even though I know that some of them don't even spend that yeah. much. Yeah, there's no question. If you look at research and development spend, uh, which can be up to 30% of your budget in Formula One, that is going to be hit by this. And as Dave just mentioned, there are a whole bunch of people in who are currently spending night and day looking at marginal gains in lots of areas of the of the cars. Uh, technology and performance, a lot of those jobs will will have to go. And there's no doubt that, uh, as we've seen with Mattia Bonotto at Ferrari, he has made it publicly known that Ferrari are looking to redeploy staff. Now, we don't know how many people are involved, but the feeling seems to be somewhere between 150 and 250 staff may be redeployed, not necessarily full time, but they may be redeployed at least for part of their years, which means that you can undertake other forms of, of motorsport. And of course, um, the Indy 500 has a big appeal to Ferrari because the United States remains Ferrari's most important market, California specifically, but the United States is Ferrari's most important market. And uh, while it's been great to have Formula One um, as Ferrari's global marketing you know, for the 70 years that the, the brand has been in Formula One, I think there is a recognition that the two other big series are World Endurance Racing, you know, Le Mans 24 Hours, and then IndyCar Racing with the Indy 500. And I think it will be a fact of life in the next three to five years that some of these big Formula One teams will redeploy staff and resource into these other categories. And that will be good news for, for motorsport fans. Yeah, and especially here in the United States, if uh, if we do get some more uh, Formula One teams and, and money spent towards Indy 500. Well, guys, we got to take another quick break, and we'll be back with Mark Gallagher.
you're looking for traditional Tex-Mex, look no further than an Austin favorite, one in a million. Serving original family recipes since 1980 and located just minutes from downtown at 2300 East Cesar Chavez, one in a million has your Tex-Mex fix every day of the week from 7 a.m. to 3 p.m. Breakfast is served all day. Homemade migas, enchiladas, and menudo. And try the Don Juan taco. Some say it's big enough to feed a family of four. One in a million. Online at oneinamillion.com. Motivation USA, catering to the sport bike enthusiast looking for truly unique parts and accessories. Stand out from the crowd. Motivation is the exclusive North American distributor for SC Project MotoGP inspired exhausts and the largest Rizoma retailer in the United States. Get the best parts from around the world at the best prices with fast shipping and a knowledgeable staff ready to help. Shop online 24-7 at MotivationUSA.com. That's MotivationUSA.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Talk 13-7, the right choice. Hi, Brendan Hotley. This is Pete City. Welcome back to the fastest hour in radio, Speed City. Welcome back to the show. Our guest today is Mark Gallagher. He's a Formula One veteran. And Mark, you have not only spent all this time in Formula One, but you've been out on the speaker's market and you've been involved in a couple of books too, right? Yeah, I've done it. I've done a few things. I mean, I think what happens in racing is you get to a point in your career where you've been there, you've done that. And um, I loved my time full time in Formula One. And then I really enjoyed uh, working in A1GP with Dave. That's, that's a whole other show that we could do for you about setting up and running a team in, a, in another category. But, you know, we ultimately we won that championship. And then I went back into Formula One working with Cosworth for three years. I ran the Cosworth Formula One uh, engine business when um, the small teams returned to Formula One. If you remember that we had uh, we had three teams came into Formula One in 2010 and uh, we also supplied engines to, to Williams. So that was great. But when I popped out the other end of my Cosworth contract. I went onto the public speaking circuit. It was something I'd always uh, done. I've always done media work and uh, really enjoyed that. And I, I think actually it's interesting when you, you know, so many people ask about how is it possible to work inside a sport? Like how, what can I do to work in Formula One? I, my dream is to work in Formula One. What's also interesting is when you have then done it and you come out the other side you gain a new perspective. And I would say over the last eight years, I have fallen in love with the sport again in a way that I lost while I was working in it. And I think that's simply because when you're working in it, 
the day-to-day reality is a lot of hard work, uh, quite a lot of stress, especially if you're working on the commercial side of the sport, bringing the, trying to find the money and and um, and so on. And and so really, you know, the last eight years for me have been about doing different things. I work with a number of drivers. I work with Jacques Villeneuve. I work with Mika Hakkinen. I work with David Coulthard. I've done a lot of work with uh, drivers like Mark Webber and Jensen Button. And in February, I did a, a great event with Lewis Hamilton. And uh, basically, we go into big companies and we talk to them about what they can learn from from Formula One. So I'm I'm still really enjoying being associated with the sport without having the stress of of working in it directly. And then, uh, as you mentioned, I, I, I wrote a book myself in 2014 uh, called The Business of Winning. And the idea of that book was to really to take some of my my kind of lessons. And by that, I mean the good stuff and the bad stuff, um, the things that worked and the things that didn't work and share that with with people uh, who are either race fans or who work in businesses and want to know how how do you build a business? You know, what are the what are the issues involved in trying to perform to such a high level and so consistently? Um, and then working with David Coulthard, we decided, um, you know, David David had done an autobiography just before the end of his Formula One career, which he kind of regretted. It wasn't a particularly good autobiography. I think he had it ghost written, and uh, so he decided he wanted to do another book in 2018. And I worked with him on that, and that was actually great fun because I've known David for a very long time and. Uh, working with him, and again, with the passage of time, David Coulthard was able to reflect back on his career, the stuff that was good, the stuff that was bad. Um, I mean, he's an incredibly down-to-earth guy, and when you have a Formula One driver who has won 13 Formula One races, finished in the top three in the World Championship on five separate seasons, and he will tell you that he wasn't good enough. The reason he never won the World Championship you know, he wasn't good enough and he will tell you that and he will then go through the reasons and he will describe why he wasn't as quick as Michael Schumacher or why he wasn't as quick as Mika Hakkinen. What, you know, and that's really interesting because you, you start to realize that the passage of time is actually a good thing. You build up so much experience and then that perhaps helps us to explain to the younger folks some of the the do's and don'ts. You know, if you're serious about having a career in this business, there are a lot of lessons that, you know, we can we can we can share. Mark, um, uh, it's interesting you picked DC because, yeah, I mean, people forget that he was thrown in at Spain um, a couple of weeks after Ayrton Senna. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Away. So what a baptism of fire. Uh, and he, he, he wrote it well, very well. Um, I, I want a general question about just going ahead because I'm so fascinated with this reopening in Austria and for the rest of the year because, um, you know, the business of Formula One cannot, I mean, with COVID, with the non-start to the season, which you've already mentioned, do you th- and also the sort of shifting of the balance of power. You mentioned that expression, and as we all know, Ferrari have kind of under certainly under Bernie ruled the roost. But do you think this is an opportunity for both Liberty and the teams to kind of put the past behind and look at the commercial future, which Liberty Media have really, you know, obviously made a, a big deal out of in, in just their opening years with with social media and uh, and marketing and so on and so forth. Do, do you see Formula One itself as a business changing? I really do, Jonathan. And um, it's interesting. There was an interview with Chase Carey, chief executive of Formula One, in the last two days. And he made a really good point, which is being echoed by chief executives of other businesses you know, beyond Formula One. And that is that the result of COVID-19 is 
an accelerated pace of change for the whole business ecosystem around the world. I mean, the move to online commerce has accelerated in many people think it's accelerated by about five years, you know, so we are now we are now going to be at the end of 2020 where we maybe should have been in 2025 because everyone is moving online in terms of their purchasing. And I know in the United States that take up on online purchasing is, is already very, very high, but in the rest of the world, that's not been the case. So COVID-19 has accelerated the move online and it's also done things like, you know, if you look at the explosion in esports, uh, online gaming, uh, that's, that's taken a huge step forward because of, um, the COVID-19 shutdown and the lack of racing. So as we are speaking, um, you know, the virtual Le Mans 24 hours is currently uh, being run online. So there's a lot of changes happening. And I think when Formula One returns in Austria in July, what you're going to see is, first of all, we're going to be turning up to a race where a lot of the teams have been through a very, very difficult time over four months. They've had to furlough staff. They've had to send staff home. Um then they've had to bring them back after I think the I think we ended up with 63 or 65 days of factory shutdowns. Um, you're going to come. They're going to be coming back knowing that in 2021 there's this 145 million dollar budget cap, which by the way then reduces in subsequent years to 140 and then 135 uh, million dollars. Um, we're also going to know that there is a there is a Ferrari, which unlike Ferrari of old seems to have very much come down on the side of doing what is right for Formula One instead of what is only right for Ferrari. So there's a there's a kind of a feeling, I think, in the industry that we're in the midst of, of a new era, a rebirth, if you like. Two of the major teams are currently and at the time of the Austrian Grand Prix will probably still be in the middle of seeking major investors. So the McLaren Formula One team as part of the McLaren group is currently looking for about 250 million uh, pounds. So that's over $300 million of investment. They urgently need about $300 million of investment. Uh, the Williams Formula One team, as I mentioned earlier on uh, in, in the show, uh, as we know, effectively, they have put the for sale sign up. So I think you're seeing a you're going to see quite a different Formula One um, in July, August, September, October, November, and it's a it's all a precursor to what we're then going to see in 2021. Because if we think 2020 has been difficult, it's not going to be anything like as difficult as 2021 is going to be. Because let's remember that the prize fund in Formula One runs a year late, so the money that Liberty have this year. Is the money that they, is the money that they earned in 2019, which was a terrific year for them. In 2021, they're going to be sharing out the prize fund from a much reduced uh, pot of funds as a result of what's happening in 2020. So actually, Formula One in July is starting into what's going to be 18 months of austerity and belt tightening, the like of which. I don't think this sport has has ever really seen in relative terms in its seventy years. Wow, Mark, I've I've got one um, which is always been covered up. Um, only ten people have ever got to discuss it. I guess is the commercial yeah. agreement. Um, they seem to be a bit more <laughs> open about um, you know what 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 it's about and what it covers and um, how it's dished out. And I just wondered if you could sort of 
spread a little bit of knowledge on on how you think um, the new one's going to going to look like. Yeah, I mean, we don't know the details on the new ones, uh, the new one, Dave. But the if you look back at if you look at where we were, so where we were in 2019 was Ferrari were paid 205 million dollars by Formula One. So the biggest amount of money was paid to Ferrari, even though they they haven't won the Formula One World Championship for over a decade. Uh, so they they get paid 205 million dollars basically for being Ferrari and. Um, and then you had $177 million from, you know, being paid to Mercedes-Benz, $152 million to Red Bull, you know, really, really big, chunky amounts of money being paid to Ferrari, Mercedes, and Red Bull. And then at the bottom of the grid, you had our friends at Racing Point, who we talked about. In 2019, they were paid $59 million, uh, a, you know, almost, it's not quite a quarter of what Ferrari were paid, but heading towards that number. Similarly, Sauber, and Toro Rosso, about a quarter of what Ferrari were being paid. And that tells you everything you need to know about the imbalance that was present in Formula One up until the end of um, 2019. What's now happening is that the, the base payments, so the base payments used to be $35 million for every team. So every team got $35 million, and then you had incremental payments above that, usually based on what you had agreed with Bernie Eccleston when uh, when he was running uh, Formula One. Um, so the base payments are going to go up. The additional payments are effectively going to come down or be eliminated. And, and so what you're going to see is a much more even spread. So instead of the cur- instead of the it being a very steep uh, line, a very steep trajectory in terms of those payments from the bottom team to the top team, that's going to level off quite quite a lot. And that allied to the budget cap means that for the smaller teams, they're going to relatively be getting a lot more money. And I mean, uh, it's difficult to put a figure on it because Dave, one of the things that we don't know at the moment is the potential impact of of COVID-19 on the prize fund for 2021. But if I was going to hazard a guess, uh, I would say that Formula One's revenues this year will be down between 50 and 60% on 2019 and that's even if they get 15 to 16 formula one races away essentially they're only going to earn the money from the television broadcast contracts and from the sponsors like uh dhl and and rolex and and heineken what they're not going to earn a lot of money from are the events fees because they're effectively going to have to pay some of the tracks to stage races tracks like silverstone and possibly mugello and and other circuits because there are no spectators allowed to attend at least to begin with so you know formula one's revenues are going to be steeply uh down and i think uh, this is one of the reasons why people like mattia bonotto at ferrari know that they now is not the time to play hardball there just isn't going to be the money in the system so you know it's you know will ferrari get 205 million dollars in 2021 absolutely no way you know probably going to be half of that maybe and and then equally the smaller teams are probably going to be protected so the smaller teams will still get you know the kind of money that maybe they were getting in the past but the big teams are not going to get anything like what they were used to and that's why the the playing field will become a little bit more level Mm. mark that's really interesting Uh, and it makes me think about what's what could happen to some of the circuits? You know, we're always hearing you know, everything from Silverstone to right here in Austin at Coda. What could happen to some of these circuits? But we've got to take our last break, and I want to tease that because I want to get your thoughts on what could happen to some of the circuits uh, okay. during this pandemic. You're listening to Speed City. We are live in Austin, and we'll be back after these messages. 
Winding Road Racing is a leading provider of road racing and performance equipment at each of our locations in Texas, California, Georgia, and Kentucky. But we know some racers want that same high-quality gear, customer service, and pricing without leaving home. Check out the online store at windingroadracing.com. It's got all the same high-quality brands you've come to know us for. Alpine Stars, Stilo Helmets, Chill Out, and AIM Data Systems, all available at great prices and delivered directly to you with free shipping. Log on now, windingroadracing.com. As a rider, you know what you like. The power, the feel, the ride. When it comes to gear, you know what keeps you safe. Ducati Austin provides riders with the finest in day and easy leathers. The best the market offers. Visit Ducati Austin on Breaker Lane just east of I-35 and throw your leg over the most iconic sports bike ever built. Ducati. Even take it for a test ride. Or see what's been described as art on wheels from MV Augusta. You know what you like. See it at Ducati Austin. Online at DucatiAustin.com. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did. Talk 1370, the right choice. Hi, this is Jay Leno from jaylenosgarage.com, and you're listening to Speed City. Welcome back to the fastest hour in radio, Speed City. All right, welcome back to Speed City F1, and we are really excited because we're going to pick back up when the season picks back up with our pre and post race shows and surrounding the BBC live play-by-play. So don't forget and check our website, Speed City Broadcast, for all the deals on how to listen to that. But we have our guest, Mark Gallagher. And when we went to the break, Mark, we were talking about what could happen potentially to some of the circuits. I mean, we've seen virtually every circuit around the globe at some point or the other talk about having troubles or being sold or whatever. But we want to know here in Austin, we want to know where all the circuits, uh, how are they going to survive this? Yeah, good. It's a really interesting topic. I think what we have seen in the post-Bernie Eccleston era is, uh, first of all, the race circuit promoters have taken the opportunity of of not having Bernie around to play hardball a little bit more. So a lot of race circuits have tried to renegotiate or have renegotiated their contracts, including, for example, the British Grand Prix at Silverstone. So as soon as Bernie went, Silverstone, you know, cancelled their contract and and started a renegotiation. So that kind of shows you the degree to which Bernie was a figure of fear. And I think a lot of race circuits, a lot of promoters didn't enjoy trying to negotiate with him because he really knew how to how to play hardball. Um, I think with Liberty, However, that this is not to suggest that Liberty are an easier uh, group of people to, uh, you know, to to pull a deal off against. 
what it is is very much that Chase Carey and the and the management team at Liberty and Formula One have made it very clear when they took over the sport that they wanted to have a different type of relationship with everyone, with the teams, with the sponsors, and with the race promoters. And instead of it being a, a relationship of conflict and a relationship of um, tension, they wanted to have a much more open, transparent, and frankly, sustainable relationship. And I think Liberty, I mean, if you look at what it is that Liberty want to do as a business, they're part of a, a huge organization, you know, owned by, you know, John Malone, the founder. They, they're in the business of trying to create long-term value for their shareholders and to have businesses that really, really work. And, and so what's happening really at the moment, I feel, is that, again, because of COVID-19, there's a whole repositioning happening with all the race circuits around the world that want to have Formula One. The very fact that we are now seeing some European circuits coming out and saying, hey, we want to have Formula One in Portugal. We want to have Formula One at Mugello in Italy. We want to have Formula One back at Imola in Italy. We want to have Formula One back at Hockenheim in Germany. That shows that these circuits have an appetite for Formula One. And I think it will open a new chapter in relationships between Formula One and these circuits. And then when you turn to Circuit of the Americas, um, you know, Austin, the, the, the race in, in Austin, Texas has been so popular with Formula One because it appears to have cracked the U.S. market, even though it hasn't quite. But it has it appears it's done a better job than previous Formula One races in establishing the United States Grand Prix and having a home for it. And because Liberty is a U.S. based company and U.S. management, no question they will want to safeguard the United States Grand Prix. And I think that working with the current owners of uh, Circuit of the Americas at, at COTA, they will want to try and find a, a balanced deal that works for everyone. I know that's what they've done at Silverstone in, in the UK. And of course, there will be moments of tension. But the reality is when you step back and look at the big picture, the United States Grand Prix is an ex is absolutely an essential part of the Formula One World Championship calendar. How can you possibly describe Formula One as a world championship if you don't have at least one United States Grand Prix? And any of the sponsors that are involved in Formula One, any of the car manufacturers that are involved in Formula One, the United States remains their biggest single market. It doesn't matter if you're Red Bull, doesn't matter if you're Mercedes-Benz, doesn't matter if you're Ferrari. So there, I am confident an accommodation will be reached. I'm also confident that Liberty will continue to battle hard to have a second and maybe even a third United States Grand Prix. They are almost obsessed with having a, a race in Miami, uh, really, really keen to do that. And then they really definitely want to try and develop a race uh, over on the, on the on the West Coast. And uh, uh, I mean, I was asked about two years ago, I got a phone call asking me, you know, what I thought about Long Beach and, you know, could Formula One go back there? And it, it's so interesting to see these are the discussions and these are the thoughts that they're having. So I, I think that whilst it's not clear what all the solutions are at the moment, ultimately the big picture will be positive for Formula One fans in, in the United States. That is good to hear as an American. And I'm, you know, we've said those things, but I love hearing that from someone in your position because, you know, we kind of get stuck in our own, you know, world saying they got, you know, they, they've got to have the United States market. All these manufacturers all want this market, but it's absolutely fantastic to hear you say that. Yeah, uh, I mean, well, the so thing Mark, is, it, what, it, it's, yeah, it's, it's, you know, I was sorry to inter interrupt. I think yeah. 
you know, I think having been to the United States Grand Prix so many times, you know, the the the, the fervor that we get from fans in the United States is as good, if not better, than we get anywhere else. And, you know, fans are great in every country, but there's no question, and, and Dave maybe, you know, could could add on this point. You know, when we go to the Formula One races in, in Bahrain or uh, Russia or Abu Dhabi or China, you know, you get you get a reasonable number of fans, but there's no question you don't get the volume and you don't get the knowledge and the know-how of motorsport that you get when you go to a market like the United States. And and so and then when you consider the size of the market that the United States represents, you do not need to be a rocket scientist to work out that Formula One has to be there. And 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 really, we don't need to look beyond the fact that Liberty, as a as a U.S.-led company absolutely will want to have what to them is the, is a domestic race. They will definitely want to have that on their calendar. Yeah, Dave, I just wondered, I, I know you've been all around the world too. I mean, is that, does that echo what you have experienced? Yeah. Um, the, you know, there's a lot to be learned from, from the new venues that we, we're going to as well and trying to, trying to educate the, um, the fans on the way, way to it, you know, from the outside, it really does look, um, it looks strange that the you know, Mercedes end up winning every weekend, but when you start digging into the business and understanding where the money goes, how much um, you know, how much money is put into R and D, etc., um, you can really start to understand how how Formula One sort of sets its own pattern on that stage. Um, but from that from that side, yeah. Well, Mark, we are just about out of time, but I want to ask you one last question. And it's really to do with the pandemic. What do you think is going to be the most significant thing that we're going to see on the other side of this thing? Okay. Uh, well, I'm going to start by, by dropping a name. So last week I had, um, I did a podcast <laughs> with Mark Weber with Mark Weber and, um, and Mark was very interesting because he talked about the fact that when the Formula One season starts, we're going to see this very compressed Formula One season with lots of races in just a few weeks. And and he thinks that's going to really sort the men from the boys. We're going to see which drivers and which teams are really geared up for the amount of intense pressure that they're going to have over that very short, intense season. So I think from a sporting point of view, it could be quite an interesting Season, of course, all the hot money remains on Lewis Hamilton uh, and Mercedes Benz, but it only needs one of the other teams to get it right from day one. And of course, Austria is traditionally not a great Mercedes Benz circuit. So, if you saw back-to-back victories for Max Verstappen in 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 Austria, that could be quite a that could upset the apple cart. So, it could be a very interesting season ahead. And then looking forward, I think into 2021. You know, Formula One will stabilize. Um, I think we all have to bear in mind that until such time as a vaccine is found for COVID-19, we could continue to have races without spectators for quite some time. And I'm very interested that so many people keep talking about 2020 as if it's like a bubble for COVID-19. The COVID-19 crisis is only going away when we have solutions uh, for it. So I think going into 2021, there could be some legacy uh, from it. And I certainly think that with the budget cap, um, we're going to see some signs of uh, of the of the teams kind of equalizing uh, performance. But I don't. Re- Mark Weber was very right about this. We're not really going to see the benefit of the budget cap 
in any shape or form until 2022-2023 when hopefully COVID-19 is a long way behind us. Mark Gallagher, I really appreciate you coming on. Fantastic insights. We want to get you back on the show sometime soon. So thank you, sir, for coming on. Thank you, Bob. Really good. This was just an excuse for me to say hi to Dave. So thank you very much. (laughs) (laughs) Good to speak to you again. All right. Thanks, Thanks everybody, for tuning in. Thank you. Thanks. we'll, We'll talk to you next Sunday. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.